0: at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. So today we're going to be talking about worship. And um, we're in a series right now. This is actually the last day of the series. Uh, It's called Boot Camp, which has a little logo, as you've probably seen. Now, I want to take you all the way back to October 3rd, 2021. Ancient history. Does anybody remember... What Don spoke on April third. April third. Uh October third. Anybody remember how boot camp started? Fellowship. The pastor's wife got it right. <laughs> That's good. The rest of you are like drawing a blank. This is good. Okay, we started with fellowship. Now you're gonna see how fellowship relates to worship today because there is no fellowship uh as far as Christianity goes, except for our centering around the Lord Jesus. Otherwise we would just be a club. Just a social club of some kind, right? Our fellowship as Christians is based on the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay. Second week, we had, I'll give you a hint, it was Mike and Jody together teaching. Anyone remember what they taught on? Bible reading, biblical literacy, that's right. And biblical literacy is so important for worship because... If you don't understand the story of God, there's no way you're going to understand how we are to worship. And that comes from the Bible, the revelation of God to us. Okay. Then Mike did a, one by himself the next week. Anyone remember what Mike preached on by himself? Discipleship. Correct answer. Possibly from a family member. Um, that was good. So he talked about discipleship. Discipleship is a synonym for worshiper. If we are making disciples, we are making people who are going to become worshipers of the Father. It, it, you can't not have it be that way. It has to be that way. Then last week Don preached. We're getting a little closer to where we are now. What did Don preach on last week? Anyone? Prayer. Okay, we're getting a high level of participation now. This is good. Prayer. What are we doing when we're worshiping? We're praying. Prayer is simply a language of worship. So today it all comes together in worship, and I've put together a really tacky drawing, uh, clip art that I stole from the internet and then filled in the words, and it's so small you probably can't even see it. But anyway, worship is the center of the hub, and fellowship and biblical literacy, prayer, discipleship, all of them come together in worship. So in other words, worship is the center of the church, it's the heart of the church it's our Godward focus, and everything else we do stems from that. So before I came to MVF, Don mentioned this a little bit. I was teaching at a Christian university in eastern Canada, 3,000 miles away. And I taught a course there called Theology of Worship. So a whole semester, 25 classes times 75 minutes a class on just worship. And so you, you do the math, that's over 30 hours of instructional time. I'm trying to break that down into 30-minute message this morning. So if I talk really fast or feel like I'm trying to put too much out there, it's because I'm trying to condense a whole, a whole semester of class. Okay, let's get right into worship this morning. The word worship in English comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word called worthskip You have to say it with an English accent, you see with This is how they came across this word. And it was the combination of two words worth, which we think we probably understand. That's one who is worthy is one who is deserving, one who's deserving of honor, of reverence, respect, all that. We understand worth ship. How does that fit in with, with worship? Well, it actually started out by meaning a literal ship, like a, a boat on the ocean, and over time, the word ship became, uh, came to mean um, office or rank or like the quality of the ship, if it's a good ship or whatever. And so you put worth plus ship together, what you get is the worthiness of God to hold the office of being God. Does that make sense at all? It's weird, hey? But that, it makes sense when you look at it. The worthiness of God to be called God. Why is he worthy? Well, he's worthy because he's great. He's all powerful. He's the sovereign of the universe, but he's also worthy because he's good. And we know that because of the cross of Christ, he is very good and merciful to us. And so we worship him. Uh, We bring praise and honor to him and we bring our lives before him. We surrender and we express our worship to him because he rightly deserves that honor. He rightly deserves the honor that we give him in worship. And so you and I were actually created to worship hardwired by God, our creator made to worship. In fact, you can't not worship. It's kind of like a double negative there, but you can't not worship. In fact, I dare you try not worshiping. You may not worship the God of the universe, but you will worship something else. You see, this is what happens. If you won't worship God, who is true and right and pure, you'll fill the vacuum with something else. You'll worship yourself. You'll worship someone else or something else, a pursuit, maybe a passion, or you'll worship an ideology, just a belief system of some other kind. You can't not worship. The question is, will you worship the true and the living God? That's our focus today. And this is the problem of human free will, you see, because God could have just made a bunch of robots who just automatically do what he told them to do. Like, no choice in the matter, right? But the problem is, such creatures could not choose to love God. They would have no choice. And so free will is this messy little curveball that's thrown into humanity, where, yes, we have the ability to choose wrongly. We have the ability to choose a way that would hurt somebody else, and we are living in that mess, are we not? That's, that's called humanity, that free will piece God has given us to either worship him Or to not. So I want you to think about the world that we live in and what happens when 8 billion people, give or take, choose not to worship God and not to honor God and not to obey God with their lives. What is the result when people will not worship the true and living God on His terms? Well, I want you to consider the oppression of humanity that we are experiencing even today in 2021, the poverty, the slavery, the inequity, the hateful and disrespectful political discourse that is all around us. Consider the way that we are destroying our planet with pollution. This is what happens when um, we do not worship God and put him in his rightful place, right? Consider our egomaniacal leaders in our country and, and actually all over the world. Every one of our leaders seems to want what only God is worthy of. Think about this. Think about our leaders on the world stage. They all seem to want what is only rightfully God's, and they want that for themselves. It's crazy. It's not working out too well for us. Isn't that the greatest problem on planet earth today? Rather than our leaders worshiping God and acknowledging him and being humble before him and seeking his wisdom, they instead worship themselves. They puff themselves up with pride. They refuse to acknowledge God and instead they promote anti-God ideologies and we are just inundated with it. It's coming, you know, rammed down our throat 24 seven by ungodly people. And by, by the way, though, it's not just our political leaders doing this. It's, it's here. And it's here. We all do it. We're all guilty of false worship. And we have a word for false worship. That word is idolatry. Boo. Boo. Idolatry. What is idolatry? It's when you take anything and you make that thing more important than God. Any belief system that you make more important than God Any person in your life that you elevate to a place that only God is worthy of, that's idolatry. And we all do it. It's fundamentally what sin is. It's the oldest sin in the book, in fact. Anything in our lives that takes priority over God's word is the greatest source of sorrow and trouble in our world today. All a result of not worshiping God, but worshiping something else. So in order to understand worship, we have to go back into the Old Testament a little bit. And I know as soon as I say that, it's like sleepy time. Oh, Leviticus, Ezekiel, Deuteronomy, sleepy time. Grab a pillow. No, actually, quite the contrary. We don't understand worship unless we go back into the Old Testament. And here's what I would challenge you with. You can open up the page, any page in the Old Testament, and I can sit with you and draw a direct line between that page of Scripture and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. He's actually there. He's, he's there hiding in plain sight on every page of the old Testament and the new Testament therefore is Jesus Christ revealed. Pretty cool. So when we look at the old Testament, you don't, don't get dropped in the weeds so far that you lose sight of what is actually going on. Every page of the old Testament is a foreshadowing and, and moving us toward Jesus. And so before Jesus came to earth, there was a system of worship that, that was presented in the Old Testament that God laid out for people. It had many rules, and it had rituals, and it had a dedicated priesthood that, that operated the sacrifices and the entire system. And worship was tied to a physical location. It was tied to Jerusalem. And at first it was tied to the tabernacle, which was like a tent, a mobile portable church kind of thing. And then it moved into the temple, the permanent establishment in Jerusalem. But it was the same system of worship, the same sacrifices, the same priests. Uh, it was all pointing the same way. And so, um, as I said, Jesus is concealed in the Old Testament, but through worship, we can see him revealed. Um, Everything, down even to the colors that were chosen for the fabric in the temple, all of it had symbolic meaning pointing to Christ. It's a fascinating study. And so that Old Testament system was deeply symbolic. Um, And rather than give you a confusing drawing of the temple, I'm just going to illustrate this with uh, concentric circles. Okay. So the the temple system was basically, you had this really outer court. If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. And this is as close to the party as you were allowed to go. The really outer court, you could worship, you could kind of be in the, in the area, but you weren't allowed on the inside at all. And then there was the outer court. This is where the sacrifices were offered. There were Levites who would, who would chop up your animals, butcher them, and offer them as sacrifices. So you would bring them, and you would be there for worship, but you actually didn't do the sacrificing. You, you weren't really a participant in worship. You got to watch, and you got to be in that area. Then you had the third inner circle here, which is called the holy place. Only priests could operate in that place. And what you had there was the the lamp stand, the the seven uh, lamp lamp stand. They would replenish the oil in that. They would uh, put fresh bread on the table. Um, They would burn incense. And all that kind of priestly activity happened in that area. If you were not of the tribe of Levi and you were not a priest, you were not allowed in that area. It was very exclusive. But the very inner circle, the holy of holies, only one person on the entire planet and only once a year was allowed to go into this room. It was separated by a very thick curtain, top to bottom, floor to ceiling. And he was only allowed to go in once a year. And what he would do is he would offer a sacrifice for his own sins because the priest was a sinner. He would offer a sacrifice for his own sin and then offer a sacrifice for the people. And he would take that blood into the um, into the Holy of Holies and offer a sacrifice for uh, for the sins of the people, and they would be covered for an entire year. So that's what was happening in the Old Testament. So the worship of God was fairly complicated. A lot of rules, rituals, fancy, fancy pants, clothes they wore as priests, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, but it was more corporate than personal. In other words, the priest kind of did the work, and you kind of watched, and you participated in it in the sense that you brought your sacrifice, but it was, it was kind of, there were barriers there, you understand? You could only get so close to God. And it's not that God was impersonal. Actually, we have many examples in the Old Testament of of God appearing to people and speaking to people and having a relationship with people. David, Moses, I mean, there's all kinds of people that we could point to. But that was not the norm for people, to have a personal relationship with God. Um, Usually, it was the high priest who who would operate in that way. So to come before God required three things in the Old Testament. I want to see if you can pick out the parallels between Old Testament and New Testament. So number one, you had to have a humble reverence for God, remorse for sin. I mean, the whole point of the sacrificial system was to show that sin is serious in God's eyes, and it requires the death of someone innocent to pay for the sin. And instead of a person, that was an animal, okay? The second thing it required was the blood sacrifice. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, And third, you had to have exclusive permission given to you to even be in God's presence. That's what the whole priesthood was about. It was about exclusive access to God's presence. So I'll sum all that up. Old Testament, you simply didn't have routine access to the presence of God. Only the high priest did. One person on the entire planet once a year. So I want you to remember this phrase. Access to God on behalf of others. That's what a priest had. The high priest had access to God on behalf of others. So that's the backstory of worship in the Old Testament. Now, I want to take us into the New Testament, into the book of Hebrews. And uh, I read the whole book of Hebrews this week in preparation for this message. Hebrews is an awesome book because it ties together the Old Testament system of worship, and it helps us see how Christ fulfilled the entire system. And he is what that whole system was pointing to all along. And it's a really cool book. It's 13 chapters, beautiful read. And I'm going to pick on a few key scriptures that shows how Jesus Christ himself became our high priest. Check this out. Hebrews chapter one says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Hebrews chapter two says, therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter four. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help when we need it the most. Anybody here in this place need God's grace today? Yeah, we have direct access. It says we we can come boldly before God, directly before God and receive what we need from him because he's good and gracious to us. This is the basis of our worship. This is how we're allowed to come into his presence because Jesus has gone in there before us and he's become, he's become our high priest. Hebrews chapter five. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. There's that access to God on behalf of other people's business. He's chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God, he presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must first offer sacrifices for his own sins and then for the people. Hebrews chapter 6. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone there for us. He has become our eternal high priest. Hebrews 7. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of high priest that we need because he's holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He's been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. God appointed his son with an oath and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. One more verse from Hebrews chapter nine. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. That's just a sampling of verses from Hebrews. Check it out sometime. You'll understand how Jesus fulfills this amazing mission and brings about our salvation. Because Jesus came to this earth, he lived a sinless life, and at the cross of Calvary, he poured out his blood to pay for our sins once and for all. At the moment of his death on that cross, we're told there was a great earthquake. And in the temple in Jerusalem, there was that curtain. Remember that curtain? It was torn from top to bottom by God himself. And what did that illustrate? It illustrated that God was saying, the priesthood has been abolished. The sacrificial system has been forever ended. We have direct access into that place for for all time. All of humanity has direct access into the Holy of Holies. Unthinkable. And this is what happened at the cross when Jesus died. And so Jesus served as our great high priest and he atoned for our sin with his own blood. And God accepted, God, God accepted Jesus' blood in our place. That is the beauty of the gospel. Have you heard this before? We're in church. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Sacrificial death in our place so that we wouldn't have to die for our sins. That's the good news that we call the gospel. We doing Okay. All right, I'm going to go off script here a little bit. Bear with me. The tech team hates it when preachers do this kind of stuff because they can't follow us with the cameras, but it's okay. All right. I want to read you one more passage from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 5 uh, 5, 9, and 10 says this. And you, he's talking about us as Christians, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Did you remember that today? That you as a Christian were called out of darkness, out of slavery to the system of the world all around us, that system that makes enemies out of our neighbors, that system that creates hatred and division. You were called out of that darkness into his light, a new way of living. You are priests before God. You are holy priests that he's making um, into his own kingdom. Revelation chapter 5, we have this great throne room vision, and it's actually in the song that we sing called, Is He Worthy? You guys like that song that we do sometimes? Uh, there's a line in there that comes straight from Scripture. He has made us a kingdom of priests to reign with the Son forever, and we will reign with him forever as a kingdom of priests. We have direct access to God's very presence because we are priests. So I want to do something this morning. Don't be weirded out, but this is going to be fun. Good morning. morning. How are you today? Priest. I just shook the hand of a priest. Another one right here. Morning. Good morning. A priest. Another one all over the place. I could do this all day. Good morning. Oh yeah. Don't leave you hanging. Sorry about that man. Priest all over this place. It makes the ground level. You understand? There is no elevated status in God's kingdom. I could put it this way in common vernacular for you. Y'all are priests. It's true. Every person in this room has the opportunity and privilege of 24-7, 365 access to the very Presence, the throne room of God. Come on, somebody. This is good. This is good news because Jesus Christ himself is our high priest and he has made a way for us. So it goes like this. If you have surrendered your life to Christ and believed on him for salvation, forgiveness of sins, you become a priest. What do priests do? They have access to God on behalf of other people. And so what you can do as a priest Everyone in this room has the ability to set up a meeting between someone else and God. You can set those meetings up because you're a priest. You have been given authority by God to do that. Because you have access to God on behalf of others. This is a beautiful thing. As a spirit-filled Christian, and that very important phrase, as a spirit-filled Christian one who is in touch with the heart of God, one who's keeping their confessions current, one who's seeking the filling and empowering of the Holy spirit as that kind of Christian, wherever you are is like a portal between earth and heaven. And you can do that for someone else. You can help point them to Jesus. You can help them be reconciled to God. And so our world needs more priests, not the kind of priest you're thinking of every day plain clothes priests. That's what our world needs more of people who are filled with the spirit of God, because then you can help set up meetings with people who don't know God so that they can be introduced to Jesus. In fact, I'm going to go so far today as to say there is no biblical support in the New Testament anywhere for the modern concept of a priesthood with special robes and titles and ritual and all this kind of stuff. And I don't mean to offend anybody here, but when you put your trust in that kind of a system, I'm telling you, it's not in the New Testament. That is a man-made attempt to control people. It's destructive to people. It harms people. You are all priests. Every one of you direct access to God. And as a priest, your goal is to help people be reconciled to God by pointing them to Jesus. It's not about you. You're a priest. That's pretty cool. That's good for you. But the goal of being a priest is to help someone else get to God, to point them to Jesus. And so the priesthood of believers, like, I hope this is messing with you a little bit this morning. Because we need to be messed with. If you want to see change and revival, we've got to get messed with. And the priesthood of believers, is one of the most important, but misunderstood and downplayed concepts in the church age. We have direct access to God Almighty because of the blood of Jesus. That is awesome. A lot of things in this life, we say, oh, that's pretty awesome. No, no, no. You're not understanding. This is awesome. We have direct access to God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, because of what Jesus has done for us. Amazing, amazing privilege we have. Okay, I'm going to go back up top here because tech team's getting angry, angry eyes. Okay, Matthew chapter 21, Jesus toward the end of his earthly ministry, he's about to go to the cross and he is just broken hearted because of the farce that has become of worship at the temple. Do you know what they were doing? They were, they were taking animals. Um, you had to bring animals for sacrifice. But what they were doing is saying, oh, no, no, the animal you brought is not good enough. You have to buy one of our special temple animals and pay an exorbitant tax on that animal. And so they had turned the house of worship into a house of merchandise, and it made Jesus so angry. This is where he flips over the table. Why? Because Jesus wants this. Matthew 21, 13, he said, my house should be called the house of prayer for the nations, that is the heart of God for the place of worship, wherever that is. At that time, it was the temple, but now it's, it's here. It's here today, right here. That's God's intent for this gathering, is that it would be a house of prayer for the nations. Jesus was so upset by the distortions of worship in his days. Um, power-hungry religious people try to control people with their rules, man-made traditions. So destructive. I've already mentioned that to you. And so actually what, what God arranged in his divine sovereignty is that in um, AD 70, the temple in Jerusalem was absolutely obliterated. It was flattened. Why? Why did God allow that to happen? Because he wanted to illustrate again, the temple system has been removed. There is no more priesthood. The mission now belongs to us. Plain clothes, priests. So let me ask you this morning. What does Jesus want in worship? Well, he wants it to be a house of prayer. Obviously he wants his house to be a house of prayer for the nations. That's just one thing, but ask yourself that question. What would worship look like if King Jesus got what he wanted? Think about it this morning. You and I could put a list together of how we like our worship to be. Well, I like it when they play this kind of song. I like it when it's not too loud. I like the lights to be a certain way. I like these comfortable chairs that are very, very comfortable to sit back in. I enjoy that. Um, We have things that we like. I want that kind of person preaching. I want that kind of person not preaching ever again. By the way, this is my probationary message. So if it goes really bad, this may be the last time you see me. Um, But this is the whole point, right? What would worship look like if Jesus got what he wanted? Wow, think about that. And in your small groups, if you go to small group this week, I want to encourage you to ask that question. And enjoy the conversation that comes. Well, what would happen? In, well, I think we would confess our sins. Well, if Jesus got what he wanted, I think, I think we would open the Bible and, and read from God's word. I think be, there might be some tears for our sin as we, you know, whatever it is. Think about that. What would worship look like if Jesus got what he wanted? See, I want to paint a picture for you this morning for MVF for the years to come. Um, should Jesus not return anytime soon? And and we sure hope he does, but let's suppose that he puts it off for a bit longer and we're still here and we've got a mission. I want to paint a vision for you. And it's not just my vision. My vision comes from the word of God and, and Jesus desire that his house would be a house of prayer, the place that we gather for worship because God wants us to experience him in that way. You see, God doesn't want there to be any barriers between people and God. The whole ministry of Jesus on the cross was to eradicate all those barriers, right? That's the whole point. He doesn't want there to be any new man-made rules to following Jesus. We don't want to make religion into a club or make it hard to understand or make spirituality seem out of reach or only for the elite. I tell you that God hates any kind of system that makes levels of superiority out of people. The Holy Spirit does not like it when religion becomes about us and our little activities rather than about his work in our hearts. That's what we're going after in worship. The supernatural work of God in the hearts of people. And that is what is meant by house of prayer. It's a house where people from every walk of life can come in, they're welcome, and they can freely connect with God. What do we do then? We lose the pretense. We get humble. We expect God to move. And the Holy Spirit's role in worship is to replace our appetite for sin with an appetite for God Himself. Think about that. That's what worship should do for you. We all have an appetite for sin. I don't think I need to explain that. But worship replaces that appetite with an appetite for the holiness of God Himself. Amazing. We get it right. So let me ask you are you changed by worship? Do you come into a time of worship and then walk out the same way that you came in? Really, we can't. We certainly shouldn't. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're to be changed people as a result of our worship. How do we get changed? We focus on the things that are true and right and pure and lovely. And his name is Jesus. That's why we have a vertical focus to our songs. We're singing songs to God. And when we do that, we fill our mind with the things that are true and right and pure and lovely, by the way, sidebar, just the opposite of what happens on a day like today, the 31st of October, when there's a celebration of what is dark and evil and gross and polluted, that's not for Christians. I'm not saying we can't participate and have fun with the candy aspect and all that and engage with our community. Of course we should do that. But we are to be people of the light. Things that are true and pure and lovely. Remember, you were called out of darkness. God rescued you out of that system of corruption. And he brought you into his wonderful light to be a worshiper, to be a priest. By the way, did you know that Christians tell more lies when they sing than any other time. What am I going after here? The words on the screen, you see they are words of truth. We're trying our really hardest to put good lyrics, good content before you, but you can let those words roll off your lips and not mean anything, not make any change here, right? You can do that. And so sometimes the worship of language is difficult and it makes us actually tell lies because these are not words that we would otherwise choose for ourselves. They've kind of been chosen for us, right? But my desire, and I'll start with me. That's where it has to start. Is that the words on the screen would line up with my life. And that what I'm singing is true. It's true of me. And then it's true of us as worshipers, as priests. Did you know that when you are a worshiper, a true worshiper of the living God, everyone in your life wins? Why is that everyone in your life wins when you're a worshiper of God because you'll become a better husband, a better father, better wife, better mother, better employee, better employer, because Jesus is the center of your life. Worship. It's about being a worshiper. And do you want the atmosphere to change in this building on Sunday morning? Then we've got to get back to the simple truth that we are all priests with direct access to God. When we're filled with the spirit, something in this room can change. And I hope it becomes a place that you want to be more and more. And by the way, if you're online watching, I want to urge you, you need to get here. Because there are things that are going to start happening in this place. I believe the Holy Spirit is leading us this way over the next weeks and months. That there are things that are going to start happening in this place, in the house of prayer, that cannot be replicated on the TV screen. We're meant to worship together. And as we as priests come together and join our voices together, something powerful, something supernatural happens. God wants your heart. He's after your heart every time. Every interaction Jesus had with people on this earth was always going after the heart of the matter, right? And so in worship, I want to encourage you, church. Come into worship. Put, put down the donut. Put down the coffee. Turn off the cell phone. And focus on Jesus. Some of you know what it's like, perhaps, to have a distracted lover. What do you do when your lover is distracted? They're on their phone. I'd like to kiss you right now. No, it's okay. There's things going on here. This is pretty cool. A distracted lover. It's horrible. It's the same in worship. We have to focus our minds on him and be present in the moment. And when we do that, we engage with our mind and our heart, our soul, and all of our strength. We love God that way. We engage our bodies in worship. And so worship begins in the heart, and then it flows out of our lips, and then it turns into raised hands and surrendered lives, right? When you worship God, it should be obvious to any visitor among us that Jesus Christ is the most important person in this place, us. He's everything to us. And you know what? We don't really care what other people think. I might raise my hands and I might look silly to you, but I don't care because I'm in the presence of God and I'm meeting with my Heavenly Father. And it's a beautiful thing. You let your guard down. You let your, your shame, you leave your shame at the door. Don't be embarrassed to raise your hands or to raise your voice or to shout in God's presence. You can do that in the house of prayer. One last mental exercise for you here this morning. I want you to imagine... What if Peter and James and John, you know, the apostles, maybe the apostle Paul came into one of our church services sometime and they sat through our worship service and the message and everything. And at the end, we kind of took them out for lunch and did a little debrief with them. And we we were like, so what did you pick up? How did, how did you feel it went? And I just wonder if they might look at us and look at each other up for a minute and say, this is not what we were martyred for. This show on Sunday morning is not what we were martyred for. Those men all died with the exception of John as martyrs. They gave their life so that we could worship and that we could have access to the truth so that we could have the word of God and that we could bring spirit filled worship to our heavenly father. It's interesting. I think they would say to us, where, where is the house of prayer? Where are the healings? Where are the miracles? The New Testament church is about gathering to hear God's word and to pray together. And yet most of us do not pray at church. We're not even given the opportunity to pray at church. And I want to challenge you to start a new habit. It should be expected that when the priests gather together, that we'll pray with each other. Find someone to pray with as you're having a conversation. Try to steer that into a place where you can have a prayer with somebody I'm going to invite the band to come back up right now because we're, we kind of front loaded the service today. We front loaded it with the message because we want to respond to the truth. Now we want to spend some time in in an extended worship. You see, worship is the central and most important activity of the church. And when we worship right, we become passionate about what is on God's heart. Because worship is all about the heart. It's about our transformation It's a house of prayer, full of priests who are full of God. That's you guys on mission with Christ so that we can go and fulfill the calling of a priest to a whole world that needs Jesus. And I want to say to you as we wrap up that you have not truly worshiped God until Jesus consumes every part of your life and you learn to love him more than life itself. When we worship rightly... We learn to think like God. As we put our eyes on him, we become like the object of our worship. And we learn to love what God loves and we learn to hate what God hates. I've said this to you before when I've led worship and I'll probably say it a hundred times in the future. I'm sorry. It's going to get a little repetitive. Until we start doing that, understand that that flavor overtakes us. That as we worship God, as we become spirit-filled, we will love what God loves and what he calls good and right and true and pure and lovely. We're going to love those things. And we're going to hate the things that are stained and dark and lead to decay and corruption. Not that we hate people. We love people. But there's a difference here in the house of prayer, isn't there? Because you guys are all priests. Sin should bother us a whole lot more than it does. We know there's sin out there in the world. We know that. It's evil out there. But in here, what's going on here? What about the sin in here? What about the sin in here? We need to get serious about God, church. If we want to see a revival, if we want to see people saved, we want to see marriages restored in the house of prayer. Listen, this is how it works. Your marriage might be hanging by a thread this morning. Or maybe it's even gone beyond that. But you know what? When you come into the house of prayer as priests and you get right with God and you surrender your life to his purposes, God can change that broken marriage in an instant. Do you believe that? That's what it's about. It's about restoring family relationships. It's about restoring integrity in the workplace. This happens when we're worshipers because we learn to love God and his ways. And we turn against those things which are opposed to his will you are a priest before God because of our great high priest. You have direct access to God, to the throne room of God and so this morning we're going to continue in a time of worship and I want to invite you church to raise your voices, to lift your heart to raise your hands we have this amazing opportunity let's cry out to him let's give him the worship that he is so worthy of let's stand to our feet church let's worship together